Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here are your hosts, Ebisei Biyisa and Krista Rubin. Well, Ebisei, we've spent the past two or three, <laughs> it feels <laughs> or like, three years, yes. episodes talking about this issue of divisibility. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the question is, why do I care? What does it mean? And we've sort of come at the margins of mm-hmm. what it means. But um, I think in this podcast, we should focus on practically uh-huh. what does it mean. Right. So why does it matter? Well, like I said, divisibility is the first thing you have to determine in order to decide whether you can look at these other documents, right? And I think it's important. I know we spent a lot of time talking about documents, but I just, I think it's important to remember that if you have somebody who is potentially ACCA, right, or potentially a career offender, or a 924C, or whatever, right, you're going to want to be getting as many documents about the prior conviction as you can, right? Not because we know for sure whether we're going to use them or not, but like it creates a better record and it's more information, right? So I think if this is going to be an issue, by the time we get to this part, everybody's got probably a copy of the plea agreement, if it exists, a copy of the charging document, if it exists, right? So you've got all these documents and we're trying to figure out like, what, do they come into play Do I get to look at them as part of the categorical approach or not? And that's what divisibility tells you is, okay, a statute is divisible, turn to those other documents that you've collected, right? On the converse, like Mathis, if it's not divisible, do not look at those documents. Right, only look at the statute. Right. And so when a statute's divisible, and therefore we're allowed to look at these other documents, we're looking at those other documents only to determine the elements that the defendant was convicted of. Right. Remember, it's not an exception to the categorical approach. The modified categorical approach is a way to help you do the categorical approach. Right. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about documents. I'm sure at this point people are like, what, what documents? Are documents, right. <laughs> Tell us which documents. <laughs> Um, and I feel like sometimes I use the word shepherd documents and I just assume everybody knows what they are, but you know, shepherd was decided a while ago. So maybe it's worth like refreshing in our minds even. Um, so we call them shepherd documents, right? Shepherd was a Supreme court case that tells us, look, you're doing the modified categorical approach. Here is what you can look at. Cause it's not a free for all. Right. Right. Not every document is a Shepard document. Right. right. And again, I know I said in the beginning of this episode, people are collecting all kinds of information about this case, which you should do. Right. But even if you get to the modified part where you can look at documents, not all documents are created equal. Right. Right. So maybe we should talk about what are Shepard documents. Yes. So beyond the statute. Right. I think we can look at the plea agreement. If there is one. If there is one. I think we can look to the charging documents. Yes. Um, I think we can look to a plea colloquy. Yes, I think you can. I, I know Shepard talks about 
oh, what are those? The other judicially reliable. Judicially noticed? Judi or? Right. It's some. It's like this catch-all they never define. But I feel like it's documents that either the court has, uh, that the court has created, like right. charging documents, or or that the defendant has agreed to. Plea agreements, plea colloquies, you know, even just, oh, he pled guilty to count one, right? That means he's adopted the facts and the charges in count one. Right. Right? So it's got to be something, and, and again, Shepard says, the reason we're picking these is because they're reliable. Right. Right? Reliable, as opposed to? Unreliable documents, <laughs> I guess. Police statements. Right. Police reports, witness statements, not reliable. Um, NCIC, like printouts, not reliable. Um, I have to say, are there times where, um, you know, certain documents might be acceptable but might not? Well, I think the one that comes to mind, and again, there's circuit splits on these, is pre-sentence reports. Okay. Um, so let's say for the prior conviction, there is a pre-sentence report. A pre-sentence report was created, right? I know for sure that, I think it's the Eighth Circuit says, you can look at the parts of the pre-sentence report that the defendant did not object to, okay? So if you, you know, if the pre-sentence report describes an offense a certain way, right, or says certain things and the defendant did not object back then, then that can be a Shepard document. But again, that's circuit-specific. I would check with your circuit. But for sure, things like witness statements and police reports are not Shepard documents. So if that's all you have, that's not going to be enough. Okay. So plea agreement, charging documents, plea colloquy, and of course the statute. Yes, I call them like court papers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something like the court's adopted or the defendant has explicitly agreed to. Those are Shepard documents. And again, not to, you know, sound like a broken record, but we can only look at the documents if the statute is divisible. And if the statute is not divisible, we can't look at the documents. We right. can only look at the statute. And that means that all pieces of that individual, indivisible statute right. must meet the definition of crime of violence or violent felony. Right. And I think for sure for indivisibility, right? Because that was the problem in Mathis is there were some that did and some that didn't and you couldn't piece them out. They were not divisible. So that's when it's indivisible. But I, I, again, I think sometimes you have a divisible statute and the you can't get the documents, right. right? The documents don't exist. They've been destroyed. It was too long ago. They don't, you know, you don't have them anymore. And people always say like, well, what does that mean for me, right? So if a statute is indivisible and Shepard documents do not exist, then you kind of have to treat it as if it was indivisible. You have to, because you don't know right. which part of the statute the defendant pled guilty to. Right. So you have to treat it like you would if it was indivisible. You have to look at the whole statute. OK. In its entirety and say, all right, does this meet? Does every part of this statute meet the definition? And 
usually the answer is going to be no, right? But again, that's for that defendant. So divisibility is like a case-by-case -case issue. Sometimes you have documents, sometimes you don't. But indivisibility is game over for everybody. Right. For everybody, right? Right. So, you know, divisibility, if I can say this, I think is, like, the for me, the hardest part. I agree. Of all of category, like I get the force clause, right? <laughs> I understand enumerated, but trying to figure out divisibility is really, really, really hard. It's really hard. And I think it's th the part that is like a huge speed bump. Yes. Which is why we put it at the end right? <laughs> of our podcast, because <laughs> we wanted you all to get here. But I say this to say that, you know, if you're struggling with this, you are not alone. Right. Um, I've read a ton of circuit cases where the split is two to one and it's usually about divisibility like it's hard it's hard it's hard and and so you know if you need to reread cases or you want to re-listen to these episodes you know I would encourage you to do that because I think divisibility is a speed bump for everybody I agree for everybody including the teachers right? exactly like Krista and I um, so just remember that Divisibility is, is important and only comes up when you've got these statutes with the or, right? With the options, as with I the call options. them. Yes. <laughs> How many ways can you commit this crime? Um, and remember, Shepard is very specific documents. All right. All right, Krista. I think we're done. I think we can wrap this up and do some final thoughts. What do you think? I think so, too. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk. Today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case.